Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Now, Hunt Palmer. Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Holding down the middle of the day. Live from the Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge Studios. This is Hunt Palmer. Welcome in. Hunt Palmer coming to you from the Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge Studio downtown in the capital city on a Tuesday. Hope your Tuesday is getting along nicely as we try to get in some semblance of a routine this week as, uh, you know, year-end, holiday in the rearview mirror. It's just, it's got to be the least productive week of the year, I've got to think. People on vacation, using days they hadn't used. People probably not even gotten back to work today because nobody can get on an airplane around the country. You got another holiday coming up. It's just, it's just a lot going on. Then you throw in... Big day in the Palmer house today as uh, the Myers man turns one. So one year ago today, uh, he came on into the world. So he got some beignets this morning. He was very happy about that. Probably going to do what he does every other day and take a couple of naps and laugh and take a bath and go to sleep. But big day for him and his mom as uh, our little guy is one today. So it is a happy day in the Palmer house. Hope your uh, your day is going well here. We got a lot to get to over the next two hours. Um Saints get a win and I guess remain alive. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Glenn West of Go247 going to join us to talk some football as well as some basketball. Um, I want to set the scene for the conference slate in basketball as LSU opens up conference play next uh, tomorrow uh, against Arkansas. Um, NFL storylines. Sharif Ishak with us at 2.30. So tons to get to here on a Tuesday edition. But I want to start with the transfer portal because I was out on Friday uh, when LSU made the announcement that they had they had inked seven players in the transfer portal and by now you know the names uh, Zy Alexander the corner uh, who was at Southeastern Aaron Anderson the wide receiver from Alabama Denver Harris the corner from Texas A&M Jordan Jefferson a defensive tackle from West Virginia Jalen Lee, defensive tackle from Florida. Paris Shand uh, from Arizona, the defensive end. And then Braden Swenson, the Oregon transfer, who's also a defensive end. Um, look, it, this is obviously the new era of college football, the new age of college football. That's what that you've got to fill holes in your roster with ready-to-play players. And LSU did an excellent job this past season of bringing in some transfers that were immediate impact guys, specifically in the secondary on the offensive line. Um, obviously, your quarterback was the guy that you brought in in the transfer portal, and that's the way things are going to be done. And I think they've done an excellent job at identifying needs on this team and bringing some guys in to fill them. Um, there are certainly question marks with everybody, but um, it's, it's very obvious they attacked some needs that they felt they had. And I made my thoughts on Denver Harris very clear from the start here. Uh, immense talent, 6'1", 180, five-star recruit, uh, thought to be as good a corner prospect as there was in the country last year. But the three decisions that he made while in College Station just showed a gross lack of maturity and respect for authority and decision-making. It was time and time again, and I didn't like it. And I thought, man, I, I, I would have to say no. 
here to Denver Harris. However, he's really good, and they don't have any corners. So I understand why they pursued him. I know that they brought him onto campus. I know that he met extensively with Brian Kelly, his entire camp, which includes former LSU basketball player, Tack Miner. Um, and they feel comfortable with it. And I guess the point is, look, if he if he steps out of line again, you just cut cut bait. You know, if, if you're not familiar with Harris's story, this is a guy who snuck out and missed curfew the Friday before the Miami game when it was two top 25 teams. He was suspended for that game. It's a guy who put himself on Facebook Live playing speed racer in a parking garage. This is a guy who was doing something to break the rules in the locker room, whether he was smoking weed, whether he was vaping. Either way, he, he didn't play in the last four games of the season because of something that went on in the locker room. And this is not... I uh, got drunk and got in a bar fight. Oops. This is not, you know, this is continuous and deliberate stuff that I didn't love. But he's a good player, and he's going to play quick next year against Florida State. So you go ahead and you add him. Zy Alexander's the other corner who has got that length. He's six foot three. Uh, made some plays on the ball for Southeastern. Look, I don't know how the game's going to translate to this level. Uh, I, you saw some issues uh, with Richardson this past year. And so we'll see. But I, th I think that there's a lot of talent there with Zion Alexander. We'll just see how well it transfers. And you've got a spring to evaluate that. Where they did the best job is on the defensive front. And they had to. And when you start to look at next year's defensive line, um, the numbers are going to look better I think, than they did this past year. This past year, they just got too thin on numbers, and I don't know if that was what led to the massive rushing totals for Texas A&M and Georgia, um, or I don't know if they just got physically beat in those two games. But you know that Jaqueline Roy is moving on. You know that Ali Gay is moving on. He announced that he's not playing in the bowl game. You know that B.J. Ojolari is moving on. You're having to replace your front. And Mikhail Wing goes back and Mason Smith's back, and that's a great starting point for you to have. And Jacoby and Guillory, we assume, will be back. And that's a guy who's done a nice job as a reserve for you this year. So those three are back. You add in Jalen Lee and Jordan Jefferson at tackle. Jefferson was a productive player at West Virginia, made plays in the backfield, clogged the line of scrimmage, did get up the field and, and, and create some, some pressure on the quarterback and some sacks. He's 6'4", 310 pounds. He can help you in the inside. And then Jalen Lee played for Florida this year. And if it's one of those deals where if you bring in Jalen Lee and he's your starting nose tackle, well, your defensive line doesn't look all that strong. If you bring in Jalen Lee as your fifth defensive tackle, all of a sudden you're just creating depth. And that's what he does. So that's a defensive tackle spot. Defensive end, there's a lot of talent. It's just not as proven as it was with, with Gay and certainly Ojolari this past year. But you got Savion Jones, you've got Xavier Carter, you've got Quincy Wiggins, you've got Paris Shan and Braden Swenson that you just brought in. So that's five guys on the edges. Plus, you bring in Deshaun Womack, who's a five-star recruit in this class that you think can help you. And again, it's not a situation where you're asking Deshaun Womack to come in and be your starter and log 11 sacks. You're asking him to come in and play behind Savion Jones and Xavier Carter and Quincy Wiggins and Paris Shan and Braden Swenson. And you have Jackson Howard and Dylan Carpenter in this class. So that's good. Your depth right there is Makai Wingo, Mason Smith, 
Jacoby and Guillory, Jalen Lee, Jordan Jefferson, that's five. Savion Jones, Xavier Carter, Quincy Wiggins, Paris Shan, Braden Swenson, that's five. So that's 10. And then the three guys in this class, that's 13 defensive linemen. Okay, those numbers look pretty good for next year. And that is a very, very good thing. You've got to have depth. What, really the first thing I said on this show the Monday after the Georgia game was, look, you played Roy and, uh, and Wingo 95% of the snaps in that game, and Georgia was doing hockey line shift changes on the defensive front. That's a different level of a program. And I'm not suggesting LSU is going to be in that type of shape next year, but 13 guys is pretty encouraging at this point. However, on the flip side of that coin, you at defensive tackle next year are very likely to lose Makai Wingo, I think. Jacoby and Guillory. Jordan Jefferson for sure. And Jalen Lee could leave. So all of a sudden a defensive tackle, you're looking at it, you go, okay, Mason, and Mason Smith will probably be gone after next year. That's his third year. So it your numbers at defensive tackle, when you consider the fact that you don't have one in this class, it gets real thin again. And that's what Brian Kelly's talking about when he wants to build this thing through the high school ranks. Because Wingo is a transfer, and Lee is a transfer, and Jefferson is a transfer, and those guys kind of come in and go out. And then all of a sudden, you just don't build the experience depth in your program that you'd like to have. So yeah, it's great to plug holes, but the fact that there's not a defensive tackle in this signing class is troubling. And maybe Deshaun Womack grows into that spot. Maybe he grows into a tackle. But that's something that's that's in the future. It it paints a very nice picture for 2023. It paints a very, very blurry picture for 2024. And at this point, in this era, you cross that bridge when you get to it. But I think looking at both sides of the coin here is fair. You're, you did a really nice job in the transfer portal at defensive line, but you're going to have to do it again next year. It's the same thing that LSU did with the cornerback room this past year. This Really, the secondary as a whole. Bernard Converse, in. Brooks, in. Fouché, in. Seven Banks, in. And then all of a sudden, you look up and there they go. It's, it's a vicious cycle, and it's one that is going to keep college football coaches on their toes 365 days a year. But when you look at this transfer class, you look at seven guys who are very, very likely to help you next year, and that's a good thing. It's, I think a lot of people took my signing day opening statements as very negative or pessimistic, or when I said the reality is like a lot of these guys aren't going to finish their time at LSU. And that's the opposite when you look at the transfers. These are plug-and-play guys. This is, in the NFL, your free agent signings. You identify a spot where things are a little light, then you go make it happen. And they did that. You got two corners in Alexander and Harris. You got a return man that you really needed in Aaron, uh, Aaron Anderson. And then you added depth to your defensive line with Swenson and Shand and Lee and Jefferson. So I think... Uh, job well done um, by LSU to to identify these guys and make it happen. Uh, obviously, Brian Kelly knew that this was going to happen 
pretty early on, and they put together kind of a signing day type situation on Friday where they released them all at one time. We had a couple of that you know put their stuff on Twitter: Jalen Lee, Denver Harris, Aaron Anderson, that kind of stuff. But the rest of the guys just kind of appeared. I didn't even know. Well, I was shocked when I knew of two guys, and all of a sudden, Brian Kelly gets to the microphone and says, "Yeah, I think we're going to sign seven or eight on Friday." It's like Friday. It's Wednesday. But they already had it all put to bed. They got these guys on the campus. They had um, extensive meetings with them, and they created some space and, and brought those guys in. So um, really, really good stuff for LSU in the transfer portal. That's uh, that's exciting news for the Tiger program as they now set their sights on the Citrus Bowl. And I was up on campus today uh, looking to try to get an interview for my a pregame show. I didn't realize they were leaving today. They're going to spend six nights in Orlando, uh, which seems a little extensive to me, but hey. Hope they have a uh, have a blast. But the uh, the team is departing for Orlando today. They'll hop a flight, uh, which actually they they just left um, ten minutes ago from campus. So they should uh, should be in Florida here in the next two and a half hours, I would think. So prep is underway. We're gonna have some discussion about Purdue tomorrow. Uh, we'll have a beat writer come on tomorrow and start looking towards the game here, uh, breaking down Purdue and getting ready for the Citrus Bowl as we put a bow on this 2022 regular season and bowl game. Still a lot to get to here on the Hunt Palmer Show. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the black and gold and how they managed to kind of stay alive. That's next on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. This is Hunt Palmer. This is Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Glenn West of Go247 going to be with us here in about 12 minutes talking LSU. Going to get you ready for LSU-Purdue as well as LSU-Arkansas tomorrow in the SEC opener inside the PMAC. 8 o'clock tip-off, Tigers and Hogs. Pumped up to be in the PMAC for that one. Um, but the Saints staying alive best they can. They go to Cleveland and get a 17-10 to 10 win. Um, there's a lot going on. It was Christmas Eve. Uh, a lot of people traveling, meeting with family. I don't know how locked in uh, everybody is on the Saints at this point. But two weeks left to go. They're still mathematically hanging around because they were able to go to Cleveland and win. Um, if you didn't see this, it was an interesting environment in Cleveland. Uh, the coldest game at First Energy Stadium, which opened in 1999. At one point during the first quarter, the Browns PA announcer announced that any fans sitting in the upper deck exposed to the wind could come down to the lower level. That's what kind of crowd we were talking for a game between the Saints and Browns. Hundreds of fans poured out of the upper deck down into the lower bowl. The Saints uh, had never played in a game this cold. The uh, Previously, the coldest game in Saints history was 24 degrees uh, on December the 26th of 1993. That was in the vet up in Philly. Uh, this topped that. It was an icy field, nasty field. Players trying to stay warm any which way. If you heard Alvin Kamara's uh, um, press conference after the game, he said it was miserable. The elements were awful. The Saints went up there two days early to try to get acclimated to it. Um, trying to get up and, and get moving in the morning in Cleveland when it was single-digit temperatures, dipping into the, the negatives. Um, and the game really was, I thought, compromised by the conditions. It just, it just was not a very well-played game. And I think the Saints caught more breaks than the Browns did. Certainly when the Browns have a 7 nothing lead and 
they find Amari Cooper wide open in the end zone and he just can't catch the ball. I think if that's September, he catches it in his sleep. But it's so cold out there and you're so bundled up and you can't feel your hands. He drops a wide open touchdown in the end zone. That cost Cleveland four points as they had to settle for a short field goal in that one. Uh, and then in Joku, the, the tight end and the last drive of the game, um, inside a minute to play, has a ball at the three-yard line and just bounces off his hands. Now, maybe he drops it if it's 65 degrees or 100 degrees outside, but he certainly did in the case that it was 8 degrees, and that was uh, obviously huge. They could have gone in tied or even even won the game. Um, on their second-to-last drive, the Browns had a, a fourth and two, and they threw a deep ball. What are you doing? What, 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 are you, what are you doing? It's fourth and two. It's four degrees outside. You're chucking. It was like a fade route. I, I could not believe that play call. Um, <laughs> Stefanski. But the Saints did run the ball well. They got Taysom involved uh, in the game plan. They snapped him the ball and let him run it. They snapped Kamara some deep ball. I thought the Saints better tailored their game plan to the ridiculous conditions outside uh, than, than, I, than I thought the, the Browns did. Um, it was not a work of art by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Andy Dalton was 8 of 15, and, and he threw the, the one pick that wasn't his fault. It gets tipped up, and Delpit makes a play on it. Um, and that, that was a break that the, the Saints caught, be, the Browns caught because of, uh, of the weather. Um, but look, Kamara got the ball 20 times. Uh, had the 14-yard touchdown run. They let Taysom run the ball nine times. I thought they had some really nice wrinkles for Taysom. Not that they haven't run him all year, but they got him in, involved with some pulling guards and created some some running room to the edges, which I thought was really good. Uh, David Johnson chipped in a little bit, and you know, Dalton didn't screw it up. And that's basically what you've got to ask him to do at this point. So, look, the Saints... Um, they were facing a Cleveland team that could not stop the run, and they pounded ahead for 152 yards. They averaged four yards per carry. The two touchdowns were on the ground, and the defense made the plays when they had too late. And uh, it, it didn't look great there uh, as, as, as Deshaun Watson and the Browns were going down the field, but you get the drop by Njoku, and then they get a fourth down play, and you get coming downhill with the sack, and, uh, and Dennis Allen jumping into the players' arms, and Look, I'll give the Saints this. It's the bare minimum, but they're still fighting. They're still scrapping, and they got it done in horrendous conditions uh, up there in Cleveland. And they come back here 6-9, and nine, and because the division is historically atrocious, um, they're, they're still in the mix. And to the point where we're having a birthday party for Myers on, Saturday, on, uh, on Sunday, and... Uh, Sunday's the first yeah so we're having a birthday party for Myers on Sunday and uh, we got we got two people have already texted me and saying hey Saints game's gonna be on like yeah we'll have the Saints game on it's all good uh, so some people are still invested in the black and gold and uh, that's you know it very likely goes by the wayside on Sunday when you play Philly we'll see if Jalen Hurts plays or not but um, it's the the analogy that I talk about all the time with college baseball how you can you can play poorly for a while but you still have a fighting chance if you can st hang around. And at this point, the Saints have been terrible, but they still have a fighting chance. It's not like college football where if you lose you lose nine games, lost nine games, they're still hanging around. With two weeks left, they could lose 11. Um, but it just it gives you a chance. And um, 
they could have packed it in. I mean, I've seen some, I'm not suggesting that some teams have packed it in in the NFL, but there are some teams that, that just are not winning. And the Saints the last two weeks, as bad as it's been, have found a way to win. And with Cleveland, you brought Deshaun, back, Deshaun Watson in, taking all the scrutiny and all the hate for it, dealt with all the PR disaster that it is bringing in Deshaun Watson, and you trot him out there, and you can't win a game. And you're not really moving the ball. Now, this was a little bit of an extreme situation. I understand. You don't necessarily, um, you don't necessarily think that you're always going to have eight-degree weather. But look, you go out there, and you're not moving the ball at all. The one game they won with Deshaun out there, they scored 13 points, and the Ravens played a backup quarterback and couldn't move. So they won the game. But she scored 10 on the Saints, 13 on the Ravens, and 10 on the Bengals. And he doesn't look very good. So maybe it's just two years off. Maybe he he shakes the rust off over the last couple of weeks, and then he's rip-roaring, ready to go. And when the situation presents itself next year, he's a top-10 quarterback in the league. But right now... If you're sitting here and you're the Browns are going, well, this offense sucks. Like we've got some weapons. Chubb's good running back. Hunt can play. Cooper's been a good player in the league. Joku's a talented tight end. We don't move the ball. And that's the situation that the the Browns are in. But the Saints live to play another day. And gives us something to talk about here with the Saints and Eagles game this weekend because it, it does matter. Um, the Eagles do now really need to win because Dallas got them and the Vikings keep winning. So the Eagles need to win football games. Uh, the Saints should get their best shot. It just depends on whether or not Jalen Hurts will be around for that uh, this weekend. We'll get some more information as the week progresses on that. But uh, the black and gold do get the win up there in chilly, chilly Cleveland. 17-10 moves them to 6-9 and nine on the year. And we'll see what they can do moving forward this week. Cleveland, uh, on the other hand, uh, drops that game. They have lost two of three after a nice little uh, pair of wins over the Bucks and the Texans. So we'll talk with Sharif Ishak in the second hour, a little bit about the Pels and a little bit about the Saints as well. Uh, I want to talk a little LSU basketball uh, as that uh, approaches tomorrow. Um, do that at the top of the second hour. Uh, I want to remind you, if you're looking for something to do tonight, we are back in action at Pluckers Sports Trivia. I know it's middle of the holidays all that kind of stuff, but we are going to have uh, sports trivia tonight, 8.30, Nicholson location, so looking for something to do. We'll have bowl games on. We'll have some basketball on as well, um, and we'll be doing some live-action trivia, five rounds. You can win gift cards, 15 bucks a round for first place, 5 bucks a round for second place, $10 for the best team name. So grab a team, come on out to Pluckers tonight, Nicholson location at 8.30. Now, when we come back, Glenn West, go 247, talking Tigers on the uh, football field and on the basketball floor. That's next on the Hunt Palmer Show. This is on Palmer. <laughs> You're listening to Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. I was just, I was just scrolling through my phone on Instagram in the commercial break. Video pops up, just just a standard living room, two kids in there watching uh, watching TV, and this person comes in dressed as the Grinch with a trash bag, and starts taking their presents from under the tree, and the kid who must be like six or eight, 
just starts screaming at the Grinch and punching him and kicking him. And the other one's just crying on the couch. It looked to be a significantly tra traumatic situation, but it was very, very funny to watch. I don't know if I'll be employing that strategy in my house anytime soon, but it was quite humorous on the on the gram. Let's go out to the Jim's Firearms uh, Hotline. Glenn West, Go247, is our guest. Glenn, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, hon. How was your holiday? Very good. A lot of driving. Uh, a lot of people want to see the one-year-old that you have. So you go to Lafayette and Metairie and Covington and Baton Rouge and all that. But it was a ton of fun. I'm glad to be back here talking a little bit of sports, which we will do uh, with you. Uh, the team is headed to Orlando today, which I think is a little bit much. But uh, what do you sense the focus level is uh, from this football team as they head to the Citrus Bowl? Yeah, I think they want to strike a balance there, you know, kind of taking advantage of the opportunity they carved themselves here with a, a bull trip and so it sounds like these first couple days you know they're kind of going to work them themselves back into prep week for this uh for this bowl game on the second so i think it sounds like they're going to have a little bit of fun you know the first couple days and then kind of wind into more of the the locked in focused preparation for purdue which you know is, is, is fine i mean i think it's something that you know this team in year one that in a lot of respects exceeded expectations and when you got a venue like Orlando there's certainly not a shortage of stuff you'll be able to do uh, outside of your hotel and outside of just preparing for the game so I think it was a smart move by Coach Kelly here to help get the guys a, a little bit of an extended vacation a little bit of a break and uh, and then kind of move into the preparation part uh, next uh, next couple of days. Jaden Daniels announced uh, not only is he going to play in this bowl game but he's also going to come back next year Did that surprise you? No, I, I don't think it surprised me. I mean, I think there were certainly some questions up in the air after the season, you know, just kind of the way LSU finished there in terms of, you know, what he, you know, ultimately like to go to the draft, would he decide to come back? But um, I think it was a smart decision. I mean, look, when you're in the age of NIL these days, if you don't think you're going to be a, a day one or day two pick, then it almost behooves you if you're the starting quarterback of a power five program like LSU and, a guy like Jaden Daniels who's so electric and has so much potential uh, to come back and to, to test, you know, to, to have another year here in this system. And I think the biggest thing that that return does is just give continuity to the offense. And so uh, it gives them a whole nother off season to, to work with booty and with all the receiving weapons that they have coming back. And uh, I, I think it's just going to be a really good, uh, I think this is going to be one of the better offenses next year in the SEC because of the, the you know anticipated work that you think these guys are going to put in this offseason. Is there any way that Jaden Daniels is not the starting quarterback next year? Uh, I, I think it would have to be a Herculean kind of jump from Nussmeyer, from Walker Howard for uh, you know to edge out Jaden. I, I do think they're going to get those reps. Uh, I think you know they're going to give Howard an opportunity. We've still got to wait and see what happens with both. Uh, Nussmeyer and Howard in terms of what this quarterback room looks like next, you yep. know, next fall. But um, I would expect those three guys to be on the roster heading into spring. I don't know that for sure, but um, if you have those three in spring, uh, you know, battling out and having, you know, some pretty equal reps in terms of distribution, in terms of you know just how, you know, those they're going to be working with those weapons, and uh, I think it it certainly gives them an opportunity to to kind of cut into this thing, but. You know, the whole first year here was, you know, this was an offense that really was built on Jaden Daniels and his unique skill set. Um, and so if they're going to 
start, you know, thinking of, you know, if Nussmeyer or Howard could potentially edge him out, they're going to have to start, you know, revising this offense a little bit and, you know, kind of tailoring it more to their skill set. So I do think it's going to be uh, ultimately a, a really tough uphill climb for those two to be able to nudge, to nudge Jaden, but um, you never know. Let's talk about this game against Purdue. Um, what do they have at defensive end? We know that B.J. Ojolari and Ali Gay are not playing in this game, so where do they go at defensive end? Yeah, I mean, I think you're looking at Quincy Williams, uh, the true freshman. He's going to get a lot of playing time. Savion Jones is another name uh, that could certainly uh, use. They could certainly use. Uh, Harold Perkins is a guy that they're going to use off the edge. We know that. Um, but I, I'm really interested to see what Wiggins can do. I mean, he um, was was pushing right up against that four game, uh, you know, eligibility for the red shirt. But because of the recent NCAA rule that allows those players that you know were on the brink of a redshirt season that allows them to now play in this bowl game. I think that's a really smart move, a really good move for for a lot of these teams that are kind of up against it and adept at some positions. And so uh, it's going to be a really big opportunity for a guy like Quincy to come in and see if he can't you know get an early stranglehold on that you know one of those defensive end spots. And uh, he's going to be a player that I'm certainly watching a lot in this game. How do you think the game goes? I think LSU is in a really prime position here. I mean, you, you, you're you returning a lot of these guys uh, next year and, you know, produce kind of in the middle of a transition with their coaching and with their players, you know, opting in. It really seems like there's a new Purdue player either hitting the portal or declaring for the draft every day now. And so um, it's kind of a similar position to where LSU was at a year ago, honestly. I mean, if you look back at the numbers that were there for LSU and that, Texas bowl game against Kansas state. I think it's, it's kind of a similar situation right now for Purdue. And so uh, I think LSU certainly is going to be motivated to win this game. They're going to have a lot of their big bullets, you know, still available to them, especially on offense. And, you know, guys like Jark and our converse and Jay Ward are going to be playing on defense. So uh, I think it's going to be a pretty, uh, I, I, I think it's LSU's game to lose in my opinion. Lynn West, senior writer over at go Two Four Seven, our guest here as he is each and every Tuesday. Um, let's transition over to basketball. Tigers on the hardwood tomorrow night, 8 o'clock tip against a top 10 Arkansas team that is missing a couple of players. Um, how big a step up in competition is this for LSU based on what they've done through 12 games? It, it's a big step up. I mean, I, I'm not sure how you can quali- quantify it, but definitely a couple levels, a couple notches up in terms of competition. Uh, yeah, this is a very long, very athletic, very defensive, savvy Arkansas team. Uh, I mean, this is a program now that's been to the Elite Eight for two years in a row. And so uh, this is going to be a, a really tough matchup. You know, Ricky Council, uh, Anthony Black are kind of leading the, the backcourt right now for those two guys. Those are 6'7", six, 6'6", six, six wings who are really active defensively and uh, create a ton of steals, create a ton of deflections. And so I, I really think LSU's best chance in this game is to – be kind of the enforcer on defense and try to create as many turnovers as possible, uh, get out in transition and convert in transition. Uh, that's really got to be where LSU uh, kind of makes its money in this game because uh, if, if you have to set up in the, in, you know, in the half court against Arkansas, they're just so long and they're so big uh, and they're, they're just so athletic that it's going to be hard for an LSU team that's quite frankly struggled, you know, in the half court offensively this year. So, uh, they're going to have to create a lot of turnovers. This is a team that 
in Arkansas that you know ranks outside the one you know one fifty in, in, in turnovers per game. They're averaging over fifteen a game, so there's you know, opportunity there for LSU to create some, some turnovers and some transition opportunities. But certainly going to be tough sledding for the Tigers tomorrow. What uh, we'll stay on the Arkansas game here. Um, obviously, they lose Brazil, their big man, but they do have some some reserves that come in. None as quite as dynamic as Brazil. How do you think KJ Williams um, respond? You know, plays against a a a tougher level of competition than what he's been doing at Murray State, and then here for the first two months of the year. Sure. Well, I think what is so great about KJ's game is that it's it's really a modern big kind of game. I mean, he's a really great perimeter shooter. He's a guy that can take you beyond the arc. He can uh, put the ball on the floor a little bit. I think probably the one area that he would even tell you he struggled in this year is finishing around the rim. Um, and, and so you know, that's the one the one area here where Arkansas, I think, has the advantage. But um, KJ has really been uh, putting in a lot of work on that jump shot, and I think you can certainly see that. So wouldn't surprise me for to, to see him be kind of on the perimeter in this game and, and, and really try to beat Arkansas in that way, stretch the floor in the early part of the game and see if he can't get into the lane towards the end. But, um, yeah, he's he's a guy that I think won't have a problem getting his points. It's just about the efficiency at which he does, and I think that's going to be really, really important for LSU tomorrow. I don't know if you've talked to Adam Miller um, over the last couple of weeks, but obviously his shooting woes have continued now for, for about three weeks. What uh, is his demeanor like at this point? Yeah, we actually haven't spoken with Adam uh, in a little bit. Um, he's, you know, we talked with Coach McMahon today. Uh, the media talked with Coach McMahon about that, and that was one of the questions to him. And he's one that you know he's not going to really get in the guy who's going through a shooting slump. He's going to let him work through it. And um, you know, Adam, you know, the way he started this season, his guns are blazing, and now it's been uh, really kind of ice cold the last couple games, and so. I think he's five of his last 36 from, from long distance. Yep. And so they really need that to, to start to change. Um, you can do a couple things offensively in terms of getting him on ball screens and opening him up you know, for catch and shoot opportunities, but shots just aren't falling right now. And so I think that's just the thing where he's got to get in the gym and continue to work on it and not make, not let it get in his head any more than it maybe already has. And so that's, uh, a, a big part of LSU having some success in this early part of the SEC schedule is getting Adam Miller going from downtown again. What would be a – I hate this question in football season um, just because there are so many variables, and I know that what it looks like matters, but what would be a successful 18-game conference run for this team in, in Matt McMahon's first year? Uh, I, I think 500. I think you're looking 9-9, nine and nine, you know, 8-10, 10-8. I think that would be very successful – uh, in his first year, I just I have questions about the size right now of this team, and I just don't know what it's going to look like against some of these bigger athletic uh, SEC programs. And so, until we get into the schedule a little bit, and this is a gargantuan start to LSU schedule. They got to play Bama, they got to play Kentucky, they got to play uh, Florida, they got to play all these teams that are in the top 25 right now of the of the country. And so, that's going to give us a big sample size of just how well this team can can do in SEC play and certainly they, they can have a, an upset here every once in a while but uh, in order for them to be a consistent team it's going to have to start in the defensive end of the floor and they've really struggled in one-on-one opportunities you know the last couple of games and they can't uh, allow these these SEC guards to blow by them and get into the rain and get into the lane because that's 
that's where the defense is really break down, and it's just hard to have some consistency on that end of the floor. If I set the over under at six and a half, what would you take? Uh, I would probably take the over for this first game. Um, yeah, just don't don't know that uh, LSU has a has a big chance uh, in this one. I mean, that it's just a really really tough matchup for them, and so uh, we'll get an opportunity to see them against this kind of competition for the first time tomorrow, but. Uh, it's going to be a really uphill battle, I think. You going to Orlando? I am not going to Orlando. I'll be watching from the comfort of my home here. So understood. <laughs> well, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk yeah. again next week. Thanks, Glenn. All right, man. Thanks, man. He's Glenn West. Go two four seven. Covers football, basketball, baseball over there. Does a great job. And we appreciate him coming on each and every Tuesday here on the Hunt Palmer Show. We'll come back and close out our number one. Um, I want to talk about a name that is in the transfer portal that I think LSU should be pursuing, and there is a report they may get a visit from him. We'll talk about that. To close out our number one on a Tuesday here on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Bayou Ford. Check out that inventory, bayouford.com. They've got everything you need on the website, including an ability to search their entire inventory, which is updated as inventory comes in and as it moves out. It moves pretty quickly these days. If you've been driving around, you see that the lots aren't exactly loaded, but what comes in usually moves out, and Bayou Ford will keep you updated. So if you check one day and what you want's not there, you can check back the next day, or you can go ahead and say, hey, Ben Gagne, Crew down there at Bayou Ford. Customize me a car. This is what I want. Whether it's an Explorer, Expedition, F-150, F-250, Bronco, Mustang. They got it all covered down there at Bayou Ford, and they can turn around a custom vehicle in 60 to 90 days. Every new purchase at Bayou Ford, 1 million mile powertrain warranty. 1 million miles. So for the life of that vehicle, it will be under that powertrain warranty. Check out the website. It's BayouFord.com. BayouFord.com. Bayou Ford, where they're going to do right by you. This is Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Wrapping up our one here on a Tuesday. Um, a report on 247 that I was reading earlier today uh, piqued my attention, the transfer portal. Um, a lot of transfers have found homes by now. And so the numbers are thinning a little bit. Now, it's certainly still a massive number of players in the transfer portal, but fact of the matter is that there aren't that many of the players that LSU would be very, very interested in. Most guys are transferring from one place to another and are not on the level that LSU would be looking toward. Um, that's not the case with Fentrell Cypress. If you don't know who Fentrell Cypress is, I don't blame you because I certainly didn't know who he was as of two weeks ago. Uh, but learned of him as I was going through transfer portal rankings of the best players available. And 247 put out their best players available six hours ago, and Fentrell Cypress is on that list. And it reads that the best available transfer on the board is Fentrell Cypress, cornerback from Virginia. Cypress visited Florida State the weekend before Christmas and liked what he saw. As Knowles247 noted, the Rock Hill, South Carolina native is coming off a remarkable 2022 campaign in which he was named second-team All-ACC, a pro football-focused first-team All-ACC player. He made 39 tackles, 14 pass breakups, while allowing an NFL passer rating of 58.2 when targeted according to PFF. And the thought is that he may be giving LSU a visit here in the coming weeks. 
I'm all about this guy. They have got to continue to add at corner. I know that you added Denver Harris. I know that you added Zy Alexander. I know you like JV and Toviano a lot. Fact of the matter is, you need a lot of DBs. And if you can get one in Fentrell Cypress, who is an all-ACC performer, that's plug-and-play. That's what you need. You're losing Jarek Bernard Converse. You're losing Colby Richardson. You're losing Jay Ward, Joe Fouché, Todd Harris, Radarius Jones, J.L. Davis Robinson. Like You're losing so many guys out of the secondary. And as you look at guys returning off of this past year's team, or the current year, I guess, if we still got one game to go, you got Major Burns, you got Sage Ryan, you got Seven Banks. Like, okay, you got a couple guys, but you need to overhaul that position. And Fentrell Cypress, I'm all in on. Look, Denver Harris is a heck of a talent, but I don't know if I can trust him. Zy Alexander was incredibly productive in the FCS. I just watched a player from the FCS in Louisiana come and not necessarily light it up on Saturdays for LSU. So I'll hold judgment on that. I don't know if Seven Banks can play at this level right now. He hasn't played in two years. So I'll take the all-ACC guy. That's now, in my opinion, what should be LSU's number one target. That's the way I see it. Now, I have no inside source, no inside information. I'm going off a message board post from Florida State's 247 site that says that the staff thinks that he may take a visit to Baton Rouge. I think it's good news for LSU, if they're interested, that Fentrell Cypress played at Virginia, has played against Florida State, visited Florida State, and has not pulled the trigger on a transfer yet. I think if he knew where he was going and Florida State was signed, sealed, delivered, and he loved it, he'd already be there. He's still exploring options. That would make sense, right? I mean, Aaron Anderson was going to go to LSU. He entered the transfer portal, said, don't contact me, and he ended up at LSU. Denver Harris visited LSU, was in the mix at LSU as a high school recruit, ended up at A&M. He took one visit, pulled the trigger that week. This is not the same case. He's He knows about Florida State. He played Florida State. He visited Florida State before Christmas, a week ago. Still making calls, still scheduling trips. That sounds to me like a guy who might be interested in another place. And I am all about it. LSU can sell DBU. They can sell immediate success in the Brian Kelly era. They can sell the heck out of playing time. And all of a sudden, if you can add him with Harris and Alexander, Toviano, you've supplemented that talent. What you had. And it's not the 2011 secondary with Mo Claiborne and Tyron Matthew and Eric Reed and Brandon Taylor and Therald Simon and Ron Brooks. It's not necessarily Christian Fulton and Derek Stingley with Grant Delpit, but you're getting closer. Then when I look up and say, hey, everybody left and you got Major Burns, Sage Ryan, and Seven Banks. You had Demarius McGee. I mean, you, you got to do, do better than that. And hopefully Fentrell Cypress is interested because I'd be all about that. We'll see if more of that unfolds in the coming days, and we'll certainly keep you posted on that. You missed any of the first hour? Catch it on demand, 1045ESPN.com. on demand page. Just click on my name. Every day the uh, new edition of the show is posted there. You can also catch us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can find us on YouTube where uh, a bunch of y'all are hanging out right now. Throw us a like if you would. We certainly appreciate that. Rate, subscribe, review, like, 
all that good stuff. We always appreciate it. Now we're number two. We got a ton to talk about. Uh, LSU hoops, uh, NFL weekend in review. Sharif Aishak going to join us at 2.30 to talk Saints and Pels. We always close things out with take it or leave it. We'll crank things up. Kind of a scene setter for the SEC basketball play with the Fighting Tigers of LSU. Come back with us after Sports Center. It's the Hunt Palmer Show.